The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. to get into the word this morning. I want to do that. I know many of you have Mother's Day plans. Mother's Day is a very uh, special day. It's kind of a, uh, a race to the restaurants for a lot of people or, or maybe a list of chores waiting at home, uh, uh, something like that. I'm not sure what Mother's Day is going to mean for you, but I do know that Mother's Day is a special day and want to make sure that you're able to, uh, to keep it special. Uh, a few things that we're going to find in the word today, uh, if you uh, want to write these down or if you're taking any notes. One, the, these are things that were a little bit inspired by uh, thoughts of what was important, what uh, my mother uh, helped uh, to, uh, to encourage in my life. This was definitely one, was the key to reputation. Reputation was an important thing. Uh, that wasn't for any kind of vain or vanity reasons. You know, it's important what people think about you because that's how they view, you know, other aspects of, of your life or anything like that. It was more about knowing the worth and value of a strong reputation. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is how to do what God wants. How to do what God wants. I mean, there's, God gives some instructions, and it's really important to know how to do that. I mean, when we come to church, there's a little bit of a, a challenge. Sometimes you'll see things in the Bible or see things in the Scripture, and you'll know that's what God wants or that's what His will is or what He desires, however you want to say it. But we might not know how to actually get there or how to do it. And it's important to see the how-to in order to bring that to pass uh, intentionally. And then a, another thing we're going to find is the master key to success. Now, I said master key on purpose. I mean, are you familiar with the concept of a master key? Like it would open, you know, a, a number of different locks if they're all keyed to that master key. So this is an element that when applied to any number of situations is guaranteed to bring about success. I think that's a really great thing. I would rather carry one master key around in my pocket than have, you know, the giant custodian key ring that weighs six pounds of, and, and, you know, makes you walk sideways and leaves you with a sore back at the end of the day. The scripture has all kinds of tips for success in specific and strategic situations and circumstances. This is a master key to apply this to any situation or any circumstance opens the door for success. Uh, so we're going to get into the word here. If you have uh, your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1 has been where we've been for the, the past weeks. We've laid a foundation uh, uh, and moved through a number of uh, uh, items in the Scripture. We'll be closing out uh, these, this list of items this morning uh, as we get to the, the final point. But I want to uh, read this to lay the foundation again, and we're going to get right into it. So I want to begin in verse 2, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be <clears throat> multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus, seeing that God's divine power has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you to his excellence. By these things, he's given us precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's God's nature. And escape the corruption that exists in the world. I mean, if we were just going to condense that and use the, our everyday language, basically what's being said here is God's given you everything you need 
to live the life that he's called you to live. Now, the life that he's called you to live is a life that's just like him. He has made you a child of God, so to speak, meaning you will look like him. You are a partaker in the divine nature, meaning that your choices, your decisions are meant to be in step with or in line with how God functions and operates. Now, here we have this list of precious and magnificent promises that equip us to live this way. Beginning in verse 5. Now, for this reason, apply with all diligence to your faith a supply, the supply of moral excellence, and in moral excellence, knowledge, and in knowledge, self-control, and in self-control, perseverance, and in perseverance, godliness, and in godliness, brotherly kindness, and in brotherly kindness, love. It goes on to talk about how important these things are, that they make your life productive, that they protect you uh, from being in a, a place of, of being unproductive. It, it goes on to say that through these things is granted entrance into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I mean, wonderful promises are attached to this list of attributes that God's blessed us with in order to equip us to live as we're called to live. Uh, it starts with moral excellence. I think that's the foundation of all things godly. It moves to that knowledge or knowing what's right. Uh, it moves into to self-control and perseverance. We talked about all of these things over the past week. Uh, weeks, excuse me, brotherly kindness. Now, today we close out with love. Love is going to be the final item on this list. And I think it's really fitting that it would fall on Mother's Day because I think that is a, a wonderful attribute that moms bring and carry into our lives uh, as we are raised up and then beyond. Uh, so we want to talk about love this morning, and I want to jump right in to a few features of love in the scripture and why it's so important that it be more than just a descriptive word that's used to describe things that are liked. I mean, it, we use the word love often, and, and it can easily be uh, watered down by being overused, but it's a really powerful and, and wonderful uh, element that God's brought into our life to equip us to live in the way that we're called to live. I want to give you a, a, a passage of scripture here. I told you the key to reputation. Let me, let me give you the key to your good reputation here from John 13, 35. John 13, 35. Now, I want you to consider reputation. I mean, how people know you is basically what your reputation is. And how people know you or what they would think of you, whether they've met you, whether they've seen you, it might be what they've heard about you. It's basically built on the evidence of your life, what people have seen, the perception that they're left with, and what they carry with them how they would identify you would be all elements that would make up your reputation. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Let me reword that. By this everyone will know you're a Christian. That's a pretty important statement. By this everyone will know you're a Christian, dot, dot, dot. The, the, what's going to follow this is a really important thing that we ought to take note of. This will communicate to all of the world that we're believers that we've been born again, that we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that sin has no hold, death has no hold on our life, that we're free from the fear and the anxiety and all of the garbage that comes with the absence of the, the salvation that comes in Jesus. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is at the foundation of your reputation. Not just love in the fact that you would have it, but that you would have it and freely distribute it. Not just meant to be stored up in my heart or in my mind, but meant to be given to those around me 
that I would have love for one another is at the foundation of my reputation being secured that I'm a Christian. It's enough to cause us to pause and give thought to the idea, what is my reputation? It's an interesting thing to find out what people think about you. Uh, And it can be an interesting thing in a good way, and it can be an interesting thing in a bad way. But when we come to that place where reputation is something that is protected through how we choose to speak, how we choose to behave, we can secure a reputation of a Christian through being loving to one another. That's the power that love lived out has on our lives. Not just stored up, but released. Love has a cause and an effect. I mean, many of us understand and have received love or or given love and seen the effects of it, either receiving it and received the effects or given it and seen the effects released. But love is a really powerful thing. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 23, verse 5, to identify the, the power that love brings to the table when it's introduced into any situation or any circumstance. You're talking about the power to bring the absolute and ultimate 180 degree turn. Something can completely be turned from one direction to the other with love. Deuteronomy 23, 25, the Lord your God has turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. That passage of scripture right there can cause us to pause and think and discuss and talk about a number of things that have tremendous depth. I mean, one, first of all, I think it's important to identify the extreme opposite. I mean, if somebody were to say, what's the opposite of curse? I think most of us in the room would say blessing. So you're dealing with extreme opposites here, almost like light and dark or however you want to see it. So you're dealing with these extreme opposites, and you're seeing one go from one end to the extreme other end, all through the introduction of love. Love is also the motivation here. I mean, that word because there is very important. I mean, if I'm reading this in in my Bible, I'm probably circling the word because. I'm saying this is the cause of this change and this transformation. The extreme turn from curse to blessing is caused by God's love for me. Now, if I'm called to be just like him, if I'm made in his image and after his likeness, if I'm given precious and magnificent promises so that I can partake in his nature, meaning live like he lives, then that means I carry this same element that can bring a complete turn to situations and circumstances. I can take things from curse to blessing through my words, through my actions. Now, I've entered into a number of conflicts before, and I've seen multiple different (laughs) results depending on how I conducted myself. I've stepped into conflict and I've made it worse. You ever done that? I've stepped into conflict and I've made it better. I've done that sometimes by accident. Now, As I get older, I hope that I do it more and more intentionally and on purpose. But I can see here that if the motivation, if the drive is love, the power is present to bring a change in transformation that's desirable, to take something from undesirable and make it into something that's productive and desirable. You'll see that confirmed throughout the scripture. Ephesians 5.1 is a call to be just like God. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you as an offering and as a sacrifice. 
Not only do you see this call to be just like or to be an imitator, but you see what you're called to imitate. A manifestation of love that's carried out through sacrifice. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that bears witness to this, John 15, 13. John 15, 13, it reads like this. It's Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples. Now, to any Christian in the room, that would mean he's speaking to you. And he says this, Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. The more we see love in the scripture, we more, the more we see its connection to sacrifice. You can't separate the two. You could not purge sacrifice from love and still have love. It would change it. Do you remember science class uh, way back in the day? Now, I'm sure that science has, has, you know, changed in its presentation in the classroom. There are very few things I remember from school, and it's because I'm getting older, and it's also because things have just changed. But do you remember changes in science class, physical change, chemical change. You remember those? Like a physical change was something that, that was simply physical. It could be restored. Chemical change couldn't be restored, right? I remember the way they would teach that and they'd bring in all the examples. This is the kind of thing that is so foundational, built into and part of what makes up love, that is sacrifice, that if you were to remove it from love, that is sacrifice, you would no longer have love. Sacrifice and love are, are knit together. You cannot separate the two of them. So as we begin to see what makes up love, the rest of the scripture begins to, to co-witness with that truth, and it begins to make greater sense. As we see the call to love one another, we begin to see what that actually means, that it becomes more than just a, a, a bit of Bible trivia, but it becomes a call to, to sacrifice, to lay down, and to give up in order to see others thrive and succeed. Uh, Jesus was asked about the, the word of God, the commandments of God. Now, when this is happening, he's being tested. It, it's being done in a very sarcastic way, but his answer is true and it's powerful. Uh, you'll find it in Matthew 22. You'll find it in the other gospels as well, but I want to see from Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, Jesus is asked about what is the most important thing in the Bible. The way that he's asked that is they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? Another way to say that is, what's the most important thing in the Bible? What's the most important thing that God has to say? And so Jesus answers this question. What's the most important thing that God has to say? And he says, you'll love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That's the greatest and foremost commandment. That's the most important thing that God has to say. And then he says, and the second is like it. Meaning you can't separate the two. He didn't say the second is close to it, but the second is like it. Meaning they're, they're identical. They're side by side. They're, they're not in order of importance one, two, but rather they are lateral, side by side with each other, one, two. The second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on to say, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, we really don't talk that way, so sometimes when you read that, a lot can get lost, right? But I want to consider this, that Jesus gives this answer about loving God and loving your neighbor, these being the most important things that God has to say to you and to me. 
And then when he says this, this last line, I think it's very important to pay attention to exactly what he says. On these words depend the whole law and the prophets. What does that mean for these two commandments, these two things that God would say to depend on the law and the prophets? I mean, if you take the law and the prophets and you, you, you remove them, then these things have nothing that they can depend on. I mean, the word depend there would mean to stand on or to, to, to hang on. I mean, I'm standing on the foundation of this building. If this foundation were to be removed out from under me, I would have nothing to stand on and it would be unstable. So seeing these most important things that God has to say, that they have a foundation, I want to know what that foundation is. What does it mean to depend on the law and the prophets? What does the law and the prophets mean? I want to give you a passage of scripture that I think help us to identify this, and it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12. And when you get to Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12, you're going to find something that sounds very similar to what even the world embraces as the golden rule. It's going to say something along the lines of treat others the way you want to be treated. This is the law and the prophets. So basically what Jesus is saying is the most important things that God has to say in his word about loving God and loving your neighbor are 100% dependent upon you treating people the way that you would want to be treated. It's kind of an interesting thing to consider. That all of the call to love and to, to, to represent the kingdom of God and the love of God through our lives is, is meant to hinge upon such a simple proverb, to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. That call to love your neighbor is one that we could wrestle with and, and ask, what does that mean? What are the boundaries of that? I mean, if I'm called to love God, I can understand that. I'm, I'm called to embrace his word. I'm called to carry out his will and, and to, to surrender uh, the things of my life that are unfruitful and embrace the things of his kingdom that are fruitful. I mean, that's pretty easy to wrap my mind around. But when I'm called to love my neighbor, a lot of questions come into mind. One would be, who is my neighbor? What's the boundary to that? Is it one house down? Is it two houses down? Is it the block? Is it the neighborhood? Who all is my neighbor? It's not hard for me to identify that call to love God because he's singular, he's, he's one. But where does the love for my neighbor, in quotes, begin and end? This is a, a challenge for me on occasion. And I realize now, the more that I see in the scripture, that it's not about identifying that person specifically, but rather it's a lifestyle of realizing that your life is meant to be a manifestation in every word and in every action of love toward all of those around you. Let me give you a passage of scripture to define loving your neighbor and what kind of a lifestyle that would look like. It comes from Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18. Now, it, you know, it's quiet in here. We probably have a lot of thoughts about what's next, what's after church, and we've got things going on, and I understand all of that. But I'm going to ask... Focus on this next passage of scripture. It kind of shook my tree a little bit. A little bit of world rocking when this passage of scripture comes up. And, and I hope that it has the same impact on you as well. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Leviticus 19.18. It reads like this. You shall not take revenge 
nor hold a grudge against any of the sons of your people. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. That's how it reads, because it's God talking. Basically, God says, don't take revenge and don't hold a grudge against anyone. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I read that, what I read is, God just taught me how to love my neighbor. God basically just said, hey, listen, I'm the Lord and I'm speaking here. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. That means don't take revenge and don't hold grudges. I start to do a little bit of inventory in my life of people that have wronged me or hurt me or offended me or slandered me or gossiped against or whatever. You can make a long list. We all have that list of dirty laundry. And the question is, where do I stand in this situation? Am I vindictive? Am I holding a grudge? Or is that something that I can forgive, pardon, and completely let go? And this is really where the rubber meets the road as it regards releasing love through our life, fulfilling our call to love one another, to love our neighbor, and to operate in the divine nature, loving your neighbor as yourself. How we carry ourselves when we're faced with vengeance and with grudges is a very important thing. Uh, Jesus acknowledges love in John, the Gospel of John. John 13, 34, he says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Well, I mean, it just reads beautifully, wonderfully poetic. It's, it's like the, the greatest, you know, fortune cookie in the Bible. But think about it for a second, and it's really terrifying. Kind of like wedding vows, right? You, you, you go to a wedding and you listen to these vows and they sound so wonderful and poetic and part of me just sits there and thinks they have no idea what they just promised to do. <laughs> when you really think about it, there's a lot being said here. When Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Man, we can stand and cheer and say yes because God's all about love. And then we see Jesus instruct what that means. Hey, the same way I love you You go love them. Now it's kind of like, hey, wait a second. Because you loved me when I was a jerk to you. You loved me when I was your enemy. You loved me when I cried out for your death. Crucify him. You loved me when I was against you. And that's what you're calling me to do now? You're calling me to go and love people that want to see me dead. You're wanting me to go and love people that want to hurt me, wound me, make me look stupid in front of everyone, humiliate me, bring me down, drag me down. You're wanting me to love them? How long do I have to think about this? (laughs) But that's really what he's saying there. Hey, a new commandment I give you that you love one another the same way I love you, go love them. Now, where the wheels need to turn and where the thoughts need to, to be present is what, how did Jesus love me? What does that mean to love others the way Jesus loved me? And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is present to answer that question. I think God loves answering that question. I want to tell you a couple of things here we're going to uh, shut down. One, you know, I've often wondered why sin is a big deal you know, I mean, obviously, Jesus gave his life in, in our place. Uh, the, the freedom from sin exists. I mean, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name as a believer is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Why is, is sin, you know, even still a topic of conversation? Why is it such an issue? And it is an issue. You'll read through the scripture and you'll see 
that the, throughout the, the, the New Testament, as Christianity is spreading across the world, the, the, the leaders of, of Christianity, the apostles that are writing the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture are dealing with sin issues in the church. Like they're writing to Christians and they're, they're, they're giving encouragement to make good choices and avoid bad choices and, and stop doing things this way and make sure that you do it this way because this is how God's instructed. I mean, you see sin being addressed. And, and I'll often ask myself, well, if I've been forgiven, if all of my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, why is God interested in whether or not I sin? It's kind of an interesting question, right? I want to give you a passage of scripture that I think answers that question because sin has an effect. Whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, sin does something, and it does something really destructive. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that, that, that I look to to answer this, and we'll see if it does the same for you. Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13. Now, Jesus is talking here, and we might have to read between the lines just a bit, but he's talking about how things will, will, will be in the, the latter days, the end time, that people will become selfish and, and all kinds of stuff. And he goes on to say this, and, and I want you to, to catch the point of what he's saying here as I read it. Because sin increases, people's love will grow cold. He goes on, praise God, to say, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. Well, I'm glad for that. But consider those, those first words, because sin increases, people's love will grow cold. Now, I could read right past that and just think, well, yeah, in the end times, you know, it all goes Mad Max and the world goes to, you know, Hades and it all just falls apart. But I see this and I just think, that's interesting. As sin increases, love grows cold. No wonder God is interested in my choices and my decisions. No wonder there's such interest in me choosing righteousness and rejecting sin. It's not just about, you know, living a certain way in order to uphold the reputation of the church. Rather, it's about living in a way that's healthy in a way that cultivates the love that God has brought into my life so that I can live the way I've been called to live, which is partaking in His nature. It's the reason why sin needs to be prevented. It needs to be cast down. It needs to be exposed and repented of, and, and it needs to be rejected and all things righteous embraced. If as sin increases, love grows cold, I have to think to myself, then as sin decreases, love does what? heats up. There's more room for love to function and flow in my life when I'm free from the bondage and captivity of sin and corruption. When my mind and my brain aren't given to the addictions and the bondages that exist in this world, when my body is free from those things that would hold control over me and drag me down and keep me from being productive and fruitful, there is more room for the love of God to flow and operate in and through my life or our lives. I want to close with a couple of passages of Scripture quickly here. I want to read one from 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 
just to simply acknowledge the power of love. Why, as we, we see love burn hot and as we, we refuse to be vindictive and we refuse to hold grudges, but rather we love our neighbor as ourself, as we begin to surrender to that call to function in the divine nature and love one another, something wonderful happens. I think you'll see in the scripture here how important and how necessary this is. First John chapter 4, I want to begin in verse 16, we'll read through verse 18. We've come to know and believe the love which God has for us, for God is love, and the one who lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. By this, love is perfected in us so that we have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Pretty amazing thing to consider that living in the love of God is at the foundation of this scripture. Not just choosing or deciding to occasionally select love, but rather it being a lifestyle. It's how I live my life. It's at the foundation of who I am. And therefore, based on the passage of Scripture we just read, I live in God. God lives in me as he is, so am I. I am partaking in his nature, his nature, which is sacrificial love. The result of this is the driving out, the casting out, the removal of fear and anxiety. When I look at our culture today, the culture that we you know, live in and operate in, I see a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety. We have the cure. You are the cure. As you live in the love of God and the love of God lives in you, as you live in God and God lives in you, as you partake in the divine nature and as you release the love of God in and through your life, fear and anxiety is driven out. We're the cure to the world's greatest problem. You truly are the light of the world. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. I told you that we were going to find that master key to success. It's a pretty short passage of Scripture that I want to share with you. That one thing that can be applied to anything and make a way for success to exist. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. The first three words to this passage of Scripture are the three words that I want to share with you. Love never fails. Love never fails. Any problem, any challenge, any issue that I've ever faced, am facing, or ever will face needs to be ministered to in and with Love, because it is love that never fails. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us as we prepare to part ways and continue Mother's Day activities, festivities, and celebrations. I think sometimes the absolute nature of certain passages of Scripture can make it difficult for comprehension.
You know, even simple words like love never fails. The idea of something having the power, the authority to always bring about success is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. But I can tell you in every challenge in, in our lives, God's solution has been love. I mean, Jesus is the manifestation of God's love to you. I want to pray this morning, and I want to ask God to, to touch our, our hearts and affect our minds with the truth of the power of his love. I mean, to see what love is so that we can uh, go beyond what the culture defines love as, to see that it means not being a grudge holder and not taking revenge. I mean, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a, a, a list of circumstances where revenge or a grudge could be an option. And for us as believers to operate in love and to make way for the love of God to bring about its promised success, vengeance and grudges have got to be removed from that list. It's just not an option for the believer. It's not the way that we live. Rather, we live in a different way. We live with God. God lives with us and therefore we partake in his nature. We make a way through our choices and our decisions for all the power and the authority of his kingdom and who he is to enter in and drive out fear and anxiety and make a way for success. I want to pray and I want to ask God to bring this into existence in our hearts and minds. And there where you stand, there's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. He's at work in our lives. There's no question about that. And I want to trust and believe that he'll work in us individually this morning. He may reveal to you a situation where you've been vindictive and you need to make it right. He may reveal to you a scenario where you've held a grudge and you need to make it right. Coming together like this on a Sunday morning isn't about getting you know, warm and fuzzy and then leaving and going about our business. It's about coming to receive God's instruction and then going and carrying out that instruction. If there's a conviction in your heart to go and make something right, go and make it right. In fact, I would encourage you to make it a priority to do so. And let's together trust and believe God for amazing results. I want to pray over us this morning. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the call, the anointing that you've placed upon our lives to carry your love. Let your love be released to us and through us in our words and in our actions, and let there be a conviction rise in each one of us where conviction is needed to repent of vindictive words and activities, to lay down grudges, that we might truly love our neighbor, that we might walk on the firm foundation that upholds all of your word. Let us be a people that would be identified by our love for one another and known to this world as Christians. We bless your name and we thank you for this wonderful and mighty call. And we stand ready to respond to the conviction of your spirit to go and make right what is wrong so that we might walk in the promised success of your love, closing the door to fear, driving out anxiety, and walking in the stability and the promise of your success. We receive your call and we celebrate your goodness and your favor. And we stand with grateful hearts in the mighty name of Jesus for all that you've done on our behalf. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name.
and all the saints declare it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.